Well, today we're going to just get ready, hopefully in a manner that will be profitable to us, to a study in the Gospel of John. It was made known to you a few moments ago. Thank you for the privilege to have a part in preaching through the book of Galatians. Pray that you'd benefit, but you have no idea how much we benefit being able to preach that word and bring that word to bear upon our own hearts as we bring it to you. And so next week you will be tested on everything from our sermons from Galatians. Ready for that. Well, to get us uh, kind of there and ready this morning, and it's going to be a little bit before we're right into some of the passages, but this is introduction to the Gospel of John. But also, let me just ask you uh, uh, another question in, in starting this morning, and that is, um, have you read through the whole Bible? Have you read through the Bible at some time, cover to cover? Don't raise your hand, yes or no, I know, but I wonder if you've ever done that, and if you've never done that, I would encourage you at some time to do that, and maybe, I don't know, there was a number of new uh, opportunities for you that, were, that are still available out in the foyer of different plans for reading, for study, uh, that type of thing for this new year. We're well into it. We're almost going to be, next week, we're going to be in February already. It's flying quite quickly. This, what year is it? 1980. What year is this now, right? But as people who love the book, we need to have a plan to be in it. So I just wonder if you've ever done that. And maybe this year is a year. Or if you haven't ever done so, you would take the challenge in love for me this morning to this year, start. Just start now and start reading through the Scriptures. And go ahead and just start in the, in the book of, of Genesis. And then remember as you read the Scriptures, however you go about that, always read the Bible with a purpose. Now, don't go to the other extreme on me and say it's never profitable just to open and read a psalm just for the benefit of your own heart. I get that. But we want to learn how to, when we read systematically or study systematically in the Word of God, we know our minds can easily be somewhere else. We were instructed richly this morning about our thinking. So we learn to read the Scriptures with a purpose. In fact, if you have a bulletin in front of you this morning, I think I grabbed one of those. Do you have a bulletin? You cannot go to heaven without a bulletin. Do you have one? And turn over to the back of the bulletin because there are questions that we ask with reference to the Word of God, whether it be a Sunday uh, message or whether it be our own study, and one of the, with reference to our care groups, that's my point, the back of the bulletin, the very back of it, you're reminded even in our care groups that when we are in the Word of God, we ask questions like this, what promises? We look for promises, we look for commands, we look for warnings, sins to avoid, or truths about God. Those are general things that we always look for, among other things, as we study the Word of God that is so rich for us. And let us, if you're reading right now, if you're reading right now through, I just want to convey to you, or whatever study you have, I want to encourage you this morning that perseverance has its reward. And the Christ that we just 
God that we just sang about is so worthy of our being in the book. Amen? So perseverance has its reward, so stay with it. Stay after it. Give it your best for the glory of God. And if you're just starting in Genesis and going to read through, by the time that you get to Malachi, um, just stop and reward yourself. Okay? Go to Culver's, get some ice cream, and reward yourself for perseverance to the glory of God that you got through the Old Testament. And get ready because you've got a greater reward coming. And the greater reward is everything that you have been reading through is pointing to where you're going next. And your reward next is going to be that you're going to see Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And it's just a wonder that everything pointing to him, and now you're going to come to what these prophets and passages of the Old Testament and Isaiah 53 and so forth has been pointing in that direction. And now you're rewarded with looking at the very one that is that. There's a sense in which the Bible as a whole, that the, the, the Gospels that you get to are the main thing of the whole thing because of who it reveals. Our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about this with me for a moment. Think about having a Bible without the Gospels. And the Old Testament is pointing to his coming, and you wouldn't have the Gospels to see him. Or that you would read in the book of Acts, the history of the church, or you'd get to these letters written to Christians, and you'd be, they'd be focused on the fact of what Christ has done in all of these people's lives, but you wouldn't know what Jesus is really like. But in the Gospels, you see him. You see him. In fact, would you turn with me to 1 John just for a moment to a familiar passage, but may the Lord just warm your hearts from chapter 3 of, of 1 John this morning. And while you get there, let me put up a couple of quotes with reference to the, to the value of the gospel. This is from uh, MacArthur's handbook, a handbook on the Bible as a whole. It's a, a very profitable aid for you. If you see one of those sometimes, a Bible handbook. Uh, he says, the four Gospels are the good news about the most significant events in all of history. The life, sacrificial death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And think about this just for a moment. The Gospels, in the Gospels, we see the one that we have come to know and the one we know we will one day see. So when you read the Gospels, stop and think about the fact that you're reading about the one that one day you're going to stand before him. You're going to see him. See him in all of his glory. Just one person say amen to that. 1 John 3, 2. This is a familiar passage, but it just reminds us of that fact, doesn't it? You say, this is an introduction to the Gospel of John. We'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. Stay with me. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. What an incredible statement. God's children. And it's not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be, everybody say it, we will be what? 
because we will see him just as he as he is that's our hope and even with john as he closes the revelation even so come lord jesus may he come even may he come even today another good statement by dr hebert d edmund hebert what an excellent uh, commentaries and and writings that he has he says the gospel stand at the center of the scriptural record of God's redemptive, redemptive revelation right at the very source. Why did God give us four Gospels? You ever thought about that? Why did he give us four Gospels? I know your answer because he didn't give us five or three. But what we have in the providence of God, what we have in the providence of God is a fourfold witness Fourfold witness of this one of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like to think it about in terms of four-dimensional fullness of, of the person of Christ. And if you were to say, well, in those Gospels, we have everything there is to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. In fact, think about it. So little about his early years, very little. With reference, we've got about his birth and that type of thing, but his early years, we get up to 30, and then within those 30 years, it's compacted, and in the last few weeks of his earthly life. But we have a fourfold witness of that, of that very fact of, of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if someone would ever assert to you it took four Gospels to give us the full account of Jesus' life and works and words, we know that's not so, even by John's Gospel Kirby mentioned this last week. Wasn't that a great message last Sunday? Amen? And turn with me to John chapter 21. He reminded us that John is telling us directly, John chapter 21, that what we have been given is what God wants us to get through these four witnesses. But it is selective. Because if we were given everything that we could possibly get, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend all that God would reveal to us all that he's done. Remember the last verses of John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if he were if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Not enough bookshelves in all of the world contain all that he did and all that could be said about the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, in his perfect wisdom, in his absolute perfect wisdom, has providentially determined determined that you and I would have a fourfold portrait of Jesus Christ and each presentation would be unique by the human author itself and by the primary audience to whom the gospel is being written and by the selective historical data recorded to present the author's primary purpose. And we are the ones who benefit from a fourfold Holy Spirit-inspired witness of the wonder of Jesus Christ. And, and you've, read, you've read the Gospels, so you, you know them all, right? You know all there is, in, even in the Gospels that we have. When we were uh, 
This morning, Deborah was praying and knowing where we're going to go to the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of John. She thanked the Lord for Ivan French. And Ivan French taught a class when I was in seminary called The Life of Christ. And prior, in fact, the first class, you were warned that there was going to be, go ahead and read the Gospels, there's going to be a, just a brief test, a hundred questions on the Gospels on the first class. And I, I, got, I got 17 right. I got 83 wrong. It was obvious I needed to be in that class, amen? And part of that was to humble me and to realize there's so much to gain from our looking at the Gospels and looking at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But each one of the Gospels is unique, and I think I have it here. First, they are unique, first of all, in their perspective. That is, God used a human author. The Holy Spirit is the author, but he used a human author in each one. And we, each one of those men that God used to write each one of those Gospels gives us their perspective. So each is unique in perspective. Second, each is unique in audience. They're not each written to the same people, but all of them are for all of God's people. Amen? And for you, likewise, if you're not one of his child, God would have you read it likewise. So the audience, we'd say the main recipient, is different in each one of the Gospels. And then third, they're each unique with reference to their emphasis. That is the focus or the very purpose of their, of their gospel. And John, he even he gives that to you, doesn't he? We'll talk about that a little bit more a little later on. So they are rich in that sense as, that as you read each one of them, the dif- different human author, though the Spirit, different audience directed toward, and different emphasis. For instance, the first book of the Gospels, well, name them with me just to be sure we're on the same page here. We have four Gospels. They are, say them with me, they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew is unique in the sense that Matthew was an IRS agent. Did you know that? Yeah, he collected taxes for Rome and, and for himself. But Matthew's emphasis as one of Matthew Levi of Jewish heritage, Matthew's emphasis is to his own people that they would see that the Lord Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, is of Davidic royal descent and the promised Messiah, the promised King of Israel. And he does that by starting with the genealogy that connects Jesus to David as king and the king to come. And so Matthew has that unique emphasis with reference to where he's come from and who he's writing to convince his own people and, and, and showing them there's never been a king who's ever been a, preached a better sermon than that Sermon on the Mount that he offers and the characteristics of the, of the, of the coming kingdom believe it's like some 32 times he mentions the kingdom of heaven, and he tells us in his gospel how to get there through Jesus Christ, that promised Messiah. Mark, he's, he's different. 
He's likewise of Jewish descent, but Mark's target, and you know when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's much shorter, isn't it? And he's moving fast because he wants to show you quickly his audience being a really a Gentile audience. And most writers would say his real focus is upon the, the Gentile uh, Roman community. In fact, he very well may be writing from Rome itself. One writer calls uh, uh, Mark the one who is... Uh, a companion of Peter, and really is, is recording a great deal of the memoirs of, of Peter himself. But you also know he was a companion of the Apostle Paul early, and then there was some issues about John Mark later on, Paul saying, bring him to me. Interesting life and times of this, of this man, Mark. But he's moving fast, and he wants to show the Gentile, particularly Rome, who's all about power, the power of this Lord Jesus Christ in the words that he spoke and the things that he did, that only one who is God could do. And then Mark drives home the very fact that, that is this, this Christ, this powerful, unique Lord Jesus Christ, is also a servant. And Mark tells us, doesn't he, he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then there's Luke, and Luke would be the one who would be most prone to go with you to Shapiro's and have a ham on rye with Swiss cheese sandwich. And why is that? Because Matthew is of Jewish descent and Mark is from Jewish descent, but our Dr. Luke is a, everybody say it, he is a, oh, good. He is a Gentile. Were you afraid to say it? Or it's just so obvious? Which is it? Tell me afterwards, be kind. Okay? But he's a Gentile and a physician. And he's a historian. And he opens up his gospel and he's telling you, I'm, I'm accumulating this material from these, from these past eyewitnesses with reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and, and Luke, he starts, he gives us the full account of a nativity uh, with reference to Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem and, and the presentation of Jesus on the eighth day and Jesus, that, that unique account of Jesus when he's 12 years old at temple. Luke gives us that. But his focus is to accumulate this material as he's guided by the Spirit of God as a careful researcher to convey to us the wonder of Jesus Christ as truly man, but lived in absolute righteousness and did things that only one who is God could do. So in Matthew, you have Jesus as the promised Messiah. You know this. And in Mark, we have Jesus as the suffering servant. And then in the book of Luke, we have Jesus as the Son of Man. And those three, together, they have a basic, similar, basic, and the focus of all of the Gospels is the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. But those first three Gospels are called synoptics. And they are called synoptics because of the nature of how they are very much similar in their approach, and yet different, yet distinct, and yet John is set apart from all three of those, and he's not one of the synoptics. He's one of the Gospels, 
And I thought of an analogy of this, if you'll hopefully think it's helpful. Deborah and I have four children. They're all Kotkis. They're ours. A lot alike, but three of them are the same and one's different. We got three girls and we have one boy. And we're willing to admit together that there's a difference between a girl and a boy. Can we say amen to that? But they're ours. And we have three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is different, but the same as a gospel. I want to talk about a little bit more about that this morning now, just getting to John. But I want you to see him in light of the reality of him being unique. And I'm, I'm going to give you four words if you're taking notes from the bulletin this morning. Fine, if that'll be helpful. If not, but I'm going to give a framework of four words in the rest of the time that I have left this morning to convey to you the uniqueness of John. And I, my prayer has been all week that you, in thinking about John and thinking about the Gospels, that it will fire up your soul as we get ready to jump right into the book next week in this absolutely unique prologue to all four of the Gospels in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word and how unique he starts that and why, how that relates to his approach and his presentation of Jesus Christ. So first word, first word, we're going to use the word timing. The timing of this Gospel is incredible in the sense of timing. I'm talking about when John was written. Timing, unique. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptics, and they are similar in, in terms of being earlier Gospels written either late 50s or early 60s by most historians' accounts. Okay? In fact, when we were in the, um, in the letter of Galatians, Galatians may be one of the first uh, New Testament letters that were written even earlier, likewise, to, to the Gospels. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are late 50s or early 60s, but John is written in the late 80s or early 90s. And you have always wondered that, amen? Well, it's significant. Why? Because when we consider John writing the gospel, John is writing this gospel somewhere in the area of like 50 years after being with Jesus Christ. What that was like. The gospel about 50 years after, synoptics, are then at this time, John is assuming that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are well-known and have been much circulated. In fact, I think in the providence of God, John, in the providence of God, in the list of the canon or the organization of our, of our Bible, I believe there's a sense in which Matthew, Mark, and Luke, having read them, qualifies you to get into John. Because John is going to present Jesus Christ Son of God in all of his deity and clarify that in a time where there was much attack concerning that. So John writes his gospel to confirm, to support, and to present complementary and even some supplementary material to the other gospels. And in the first hour this morning, 
Marshall made reference to Wearsby. I kind of see John as like Wearsby. Warren Wearsby and his initial, middle initial is W, and I don't know what his middle name is, W.W. Wearsby, but, I, but I've always called him a wise old owl in terms of when I read his stuff, and it was my privilege to even hear him uh, years, years ago when I was in seminary, and so profitable, and his commentaries are so good. Well, I, I kind of see John as that from where, where, when he's writing this, from such, such wisdom that he's coming to the person and the history of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, guided by the Spirit of God. So when John is writing, he has seen a whole lot of history, church history, take place in those 50 years. Uh, he, he's, seen the, he's seen the fulfillment of, of, of uh, Paul's ministry and the book of Acts. He, he's later than the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And, and likewise, as, as having been one of the leaders, one of the elders there at, at Jerusalem, but he's not there when he's writing this, this particular letter because of all that took place there. He's, he's seen so much history. Martyrdom of his brother, John, excuse me, James, who was also one of the ones called by the Lord Jesus Christ and one of the earliest of the twelve martyred for the faith. And think about the things that he remembers. I'm, a, I'm, approaching, I'm approaching 50 years from seminary. I know that's hard to believe when you think about how young I am, but I am approaching nearly 50 years from seminary. And I've had a whole lot of time to remember and to think about what it was like sitting in Dr. Whitcomb's class and Ivan French's class and some of the other key men in my life. And there were certain things they drove home. Think about what it was like, John, to reflect back upon the fact when Jesus said, come and follow me. I'm going to make you, everybody finish with me, I'm going to make you what? A fisherman. Think what that's like. Think of what it's like in those years, reflecting back upon the fact that they were with Jesus, he and, and Peter and James, John, and with him, and Jesus was transfigured that on the mount, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw not a spotlight on Jesus, but a spotlight from Jesus as they saw him transfigured in his glory. They saw something of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, just a taste of what we'll see in him one day. Think about what it was like being with John when they were at that last Passover and the new Passover for us. And he's there and, and he, he sees, he knows there's going to be a, one who's going to deny Christ and, and, and Judas is, is identified and he goes out and him reflect upon those years of Judas. How could he have been with us, fooled us the whole time and yet denied Christ, unbeliever. What was it like for John when he saw Christ on the cross? And he heard, he heard Jesus look down at him and he said, um, pointed to, to Mary. And, and he conveys to him to take care of Mary, the very mother of Jesus Christ. How that happened and how did he take care of her? All, all the other things that he's had to reflect upon and have been brought to impress upon not only his thinking but his heart with reference to the timing of this. 
And so John has come through a whole lot of church history, and in that time of 50 years, just like we've seen in the book of Galatians, there is a whole lot of bad Christology and perversion of the gospel. So is it any wonder when you come to the gospel of John, John is driving home the fact that this Jesus was and is the Son of God. God in flesh. So much Gnosticism and all these other perversions that were taking place with reference to the person of Christ. An attack upon the gospel itself. Well, let me give you a second word, if I may, and that is, let's talk about content. Content of the gospel of John. And think about this. 93%, there it is, 93% of the gospel of John is unique to John in comparison to the first three gospels. Now think about that. 93%, now he may be referencing similar things, obviously, as pointing to Christ, but unique in what he says or what he is focusing on in the gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, there is no list of the apostles. John doesn't record Jesus' birth, his baptism, transfiguration, the temptation, agony in the garden, or his ascension. He doesn't focus on that. He opens his Gospel with the most profound statement about Christ being the eternal Word. He gives us three chapters with reference to the relationship of the Son to the Spirit, and shows us the relationship in the Trinity of the second person and the third person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit with chapter 14, 15, and 16, key in all of our Bible with reference to the work and person of the Holy Spirit. He lets you see the relationship between the Son and the Father, John 17, where Jesus praying to the Father and that precious relationship, that perfect union that was always going on, and John observed it. And then John, he doesn't give us things like Matthew gives us with these parables. What John gives us is metaphors. Quite a few with this statement, emphatic, ego emi is the Greek. Everybody say it, ego emi. Everybody say that. Now you know Greek, right? Ego emi. You know what it is? You know what that means? I am. I am. 23 times in John's Gospel, but seven times that are connected with key metaphors. And I thought about this morning, having you write, write them out right now, that's the quiz, but we'll just say them together. He said, I am the bread of, he said, I am the light of the, he said, I am the good, I am the door of the sheepfold, he said, I am the resurrection and the, and the life. He said, I am the way and the, and the life. He said, I am the true vine. And with that emphatic statement in front of it, John is driving home the fact that that emphatic statement is connecting those metaphors, pointing to him as everything, and the I am connecting him to the Exodus chapter 3 of God revealing himself. Who are you, God? I am the eternal one. I am that I am that I am that I am. Beautiful. So John's recorded sign miracles that we're going to look at. Not today. Don't panic. His clear metaphors and the profound Christology 
caused church historians like the classic historian Philip Schaff to say, wow, John's gospel is as gentle as a lamb, but bold as an eagle and deep as the sea and high as the heavens. Another historian says this gospel is something else. It has been compared to a pool in which a child can wade. In other words, a child that can read can read John. And yet, an elephant swim in terms of its depth and yet clarity. And I compare John's gospel likewise to R.C. Sproul, that person that we love so much that had the great ability, God-given skill, to convey the most profound truths in the most concise and simple manner. And the gospel of John just does that very thing. So his, his timing and then the content of the book with those particular emphasis. And then there's the purpose of the book. And now we just turn back to the end of the Gospel of John again because he gives it to us, doesn't he? And you know that this morning, but I'm driving it home to us. John clearly tells us as he's writing to anyone who would believe this Gospel. And also, John, we know, is called the Gospel of Belief because nearly a hundred times in his gospel, he calls us to believe. And uh, a person on the street who may know a little bit of Bible, maybe none, but went to Sunday school, maybe a couple of years dad or mom took them, he might be able to quote John three, sixteen. Whosoever believe in him. And nearly a hundred times the gospel of belief is the Gospel of John, and he clearly gives us that purpose. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, doesn't he? Chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. There's one of those therefores. These things have been written, verse 31 of chapter 20, so that you may, everybody say it, so that you may what? But notice, believe what? Oh, just believe. It doesn't matter what you believe, just so matters you believe, right? Wrong. Have faith, have faith. It's driving me nuts about hearing about new books come out, people having faith, having faith, having faith, having faith. Nobody ever mentions talking about have faith in who and in what. You can have faith in other things other than Jesus till your teeth fall out. And if you're approaching my age, they may be starting to fall out. But if it isn't anchored in the proper thing, it isn't going to save you, right? And that's what Jay, here's what John is doing. Beloved, listen, here's what he's doing. He's saying, you can't put your faith in a God you do not know. You can't put your faith in a Jesus you do not know. And I'm telling you, you've got to know him. And I'm going to show you him in action with these miracles, and I'm going to show you in terms of who he is by stating that he is. Look at the verse again. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the same as the Son, same as the Father in nature and essence and being. Everything that God is, Jesus is, but in flesh. Wow that you may believe that he is the Son of God and the end of the verse, our second purpose clause, and that in order that believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. You knew that there's that purpose. Turn back to John chapter 2 then. Turn there with me. From beginning of the Gospel of John to the end of the Gospel of John. 
it's that same emphasis. But I want you to understand this morning, John will demonstrate in his gospel that saving belief is more than intellectual assent. It's more than just saying, yes, I believe that he came and there was a real person. It is more than that. John is going to show us in the gospel that to believe upon Jesus always leads to obedience demonstrated in following. So if you're a believer in Jesus today, then you're living for him and you're seeking to follow him. One will give evidence of the other. That's the depth of true and saving faith. So chapter 2, we're going to come to this in a couple of weeks, and I believe Marshall's going to tackle the first of the seven sign miracles, this one in John chapter 2, of Jesus changing the water to wine at this wedding of Cain of Galilee. And I want you to notice verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, what John does. He says, this beginning of his signs, these works that are pointing and directing and Beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cain of Galilee, and he manifested his glory. In other words, only one who could do the works of God must be God, right? His glory, that he truly was God, and his disciples believed in him. And I think that's an incredible statement because they've already chosen to come with him. He's, he's already chosen them to come with him. And yet here it's saying, and they believed upon him. Hadn't they believed already? Yeah, but now they're going to believe more. And they're going to believe more, and they're going to believe more, and they're going to believe more, and that ought to be like you and I. I understand it isn't the process of being saved, but I do understand this. If you believe and you're growing, that belief is going to be growing as part of your commitment and love and understanding of Jesus Christ. I trust that's why you're here. You want to know him more and trust him, trust him more based upon what he's done in your life. So there's that purpose stated. John 20, 31, Jesus declares, John declares him as the Son of God, same in nature, essence, being as the Father. He presents the evidence by his sign miracles, and he calls you unto belief. Calls you unto belief. So we understand then in the Gospel of John, the emphasis in the Gospel, first of all, is theological that he is the Son of God that he is God in flesh. Second emphasis is apologetical. What do I mean by that? It is presenting this evidence concerning him that you might know the witness is true about Jesus. And third, it is evangelistic that you might have this evidence and the results of it is that you might believe, believe, believe. And that's why the Gospel of John is a great book, is a great book. Perhaps if you'd be here this morning, you say, I've never read the Bible. Well, start, go to John right now. Go Start reading a John right now. That's who you need to know first. You need to see first reading in the Gospel of John. Presents him so that you see who he is in all of his fullness and that you might believe and believing that you might have life. That's why your neighbor, when they've said they never read anything in the Bible, say, read the Gospel of John, then we'll talk about it. Read the Gospel of John. Don't end there, but start there. It also presents Christ. It presents him for us as believers as the model evangelist. Watch him talk with that Samaritan woman. Watch him lead Nicodemus into a right understanding of his need to be born from above. Then there's one more of the four, and that is relating to just John, the person of John. And I've mentioned a little bit 
with reference to his uniqueness and the timing and so forth. But I want you to turn to Mark for a moment and to just look at a few key things concerning the person John, the man John, as we come just to the conclusion with reference to preparing ourselves to dive into his gospel. John, uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. What do we know about his background? Just a few things concerning John. 114, now after John had been taken into custody, and the John there is John the Baptist, okay? After John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the announcement that the Messiah was here, okay? And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And the kingdom is at hand because the king is at hand. And that is Christ. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, the brother of Simon cast, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, let's all say it together. Everybody say it with me. Follow me and I will make you. Amen. And immediately they left their nets and followed after him. And it was not like a zombie or something. They had already heard John the Baptist and very likely already heard Jesus. But now this, this sovereign call comes to them. You follow now. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, here's our John, his brother. And James is always mentioned before John. Most understand that is because James was the older brother of John. Both of them sons of Zebedee. Apparently, this was a, along with Simon and Andrew, quite a fishing business that they had. Here they are introduced as sons of Zebedee. Verse 20, immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. Turn over to chapter 3, just something else with reference to John. Mark 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve. Here's his, his official appointment as an apostle, so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom we gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brothers of James. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means, or title, they're sons of thunder. Interesting. Sons of thunder. Over in chapter 5, verse 37, in the context of 5, verse 21 and following, is a synagogue official named Jairus appeals to Jesus, come, his daughter is dying. The daughter, let's pick it up in verse 36, 35, and while he was speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, 
James, and John. Now we have the first record of the fact that of the 12, there's an inner circle of the three. Here they are. John's one of them. Peter and these two brothers, James and John. Nobody else. And then they came in with him, and he resurrected this dead little girl from the dead, brought her back to life. Miracle of bringing her back to life. Now turn over with me to Matthew, or to Mark, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9. Just one other thing about these sons of Zebedee that Jesus gave them the title sons of what? Do you remember? Sons of, sons of thunder. Wow. Over there in chapter 9, verse 51. And we see these guys again right here. And when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him, that is, they did not receive Jesus, because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. They said, don't come into our city. Don't come into our community. No, we don't want you to stay here. Verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, here we are, James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to commend fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Lord, say the word, we'll take them out. There we are, sons of thunder. You know what? God made these men a certain way to be used and to be changed in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't, make him, he didn't make a mistake when he made them, and he didn't make a mistake when he made you with the personality that you have. And he's going to change these men. He's going to change. Now, James is going to be killed early, but John is, like we've already seen, going to live up into the uh, late 80s, early 90s A.D. And you know and you remember, now John, one of the things that he catches about Jesus is how much Jesus loves people. And five times in the Gospel of John, John, who doesn't mention himself, but he's laying his head where? On Jesus. Just wanting to be closer to him. In love with the Savior as he sees him, walks with him, hears him, learns from him. Irenaeus, who is a disciple of Polycarp, who is a disciple of John. Okay? So we're very early here yet. Irenaeus says of John, while John was mellowed by divine love, he never lost his zeal for the truth and fiery attitude towards sin. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a zeal for the truth, and it's a good thing to hate sin. You better say amen to that right now. Amen? And God working in John's life in that way. John's zeal and fiery temperament is evident in his zeal for the truth, and you get that from 1 John and in the Gospel of John, but in statements like this. Look at the overhead, this quote from 1 John. John says, the one who says, and by the way, he's already mentioned truth several times already in chapter 1. Truth's not in us, we make God if we say that we have not sinned, truth's not in us. We make God a liar. But in 1 John 2, 4, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And look at this. And the truth's not in him. So there's no messing around with John. 
But John is mellowed by being with Christ. How could you be with Christ for three years and watch him and hear him and love him and not be changed? Oh, may that be true of you and I. So from the Apostle John this morning and later on, later on, he, he ends up from Jerusalem, I think, then to Ephesus, and he's known at Ephesus, the church is at Ephesus, as John the Elder. Wouldn't it be something to have that man in your church? But he has also come to be called and known as the Apostle of Love. Beloved, may you grow in love, but may you, may you also grow in truth. They ought to go together in our lives. And the more that you love the truth... You're going to love the one who is the truth. So John would ask you this morning, if I can close this way, he would ask you, well, have you believed upon Jesus? Have you really believed? And if you really believed, are you following him? And has he changed your life? And are you continuing to be changed and walking? And that change is coming from the reality. Like he says in 2 John, for those who walk in the truth, are you walking in the truth? And my main prayer my main prayer, and I think I can speak for Marshall as well, when we're in the Gospel of John then, and then when we see Jesus Christ, may we love him more and may we follow him better for his own glory, for the glory of God himself. Can you say amen to that? So next week, I'm going to start right in that key prologue in chapter 1 and the wonder of Jesus being the Lagos. The word. Bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you for a patient people this morning as I sought to give my best to help us realize the wonder, not only the gospels, but this gospel of belief and this man who you use to write it. We thank you so much for the wonder of your word and the depth of it and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. same yesterday, today, and forever. The one we sang about, I pray the reason that we're here this morning, what he's done in our lives, what he did on a cross, and the wonder of having us in mind. If you're in Christ this morning, you trusted Christ. He is your Savior in mind. He had you in mind and dying on that cross. The wonder of it all. And one day to be able to look upon him and say, thank you, Jesus, for all eternity, to worship him, thank him for what he has done. And in the meantime, may we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all his people said, amen.